Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Can I make my side softer? Can I make my side firmer? Whenever I want? Can, Can we, we sleep, sleep cooler? Sleep Number does that. Cools up to eight times faster and lets you choose your ideal comfort on either side. 94% of Sleep Number smart sleepers report better sleep. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Climate change is fact, not fiction, and something that affects everyone on the planet. Over the years, Hollywood has touched on climate change in movies like The Day After Tomorrow and Don't Look Up. Our guest this week is no stranger to the movies. Actor Tim Guinea is a feature film, television, and stage actor who has appeared in Iron Man, Stargate SG-1, Blade, The Good Wife, and many other productions. However, his passion and activism about climate change is not scripted. It's real. Tim, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you, Marshall. It's so nice to see you. It, it really is. You know, I, I, I had to bring with Tim on a committee uh, that the Ameri- American Academy of Arts and Sciences is uh, working on related to the climate crisis. And it's just been a pleasure to get to know him. Of course, I know his face because many of the movies and television shows that he's been in, I, I've seen. And you certainly have seen them, too. If you've watched things like Iron Man or Stargate or, or Blade. I'm going to get into some of that because I want to pick Tim's brain on Hollywood and climate. But the real reason Tim is on this podcast is he's really passionate about the climate crisis because he understands the importance of needing to do something about it. I usually ask Tim the first question to every single guest. I usually ask them how you became a weather geek. But in this case, I'm going to ask you how you became a climate geek. I actually uh, have a fantastic story for you. And I'll, I'll say it. It's funny. I, I'll tell you how I initially got into it, but I think you can get born again into it uh, over and over in your life. But I was a kid. I grew up kind of there were woods by our house. I spent a lot of time in the woods and I loved nature and I had all this, you know, anyhow, I phenomenal love for the natural world. When I was 13 years old, I got a letter from Jacques Cousteau. I wrote him. And if you have young listeners, Jacques Cousteau uh, invented the scuba tank. He, he invented scuba diving and had a very popular television show in the 1970s called The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau, where he explored the ocean and it enthralled people. It, it, you, you really, for the first time, got to see the ocean in a way people never had. And I had written him a letter and he wrote me back, which is an incredibly generative thing to do to write some 13 year old, you don't know a note. And uh, in it, he described the climate crisis in 1976. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. As scientists were seeing it in 1976, which was uh, the first I ever heard of it. And of course we know that, you know, there were, 
certainly the American Petroleum Institute knew about it in 1958 and Exxon knew about it in the early 60s. But in terms of popular knowledge, it, it, you know, and, and I should mention Eunice Foote, who was the first one who really paid attention to carbon in the atmosphere in the 1860s. I think I'm getting yeah, that right. Eunice Foote is an amazing hidden figure of science. If you don't know anything about her, definitely Google her because she was a woman who was really at the forefront of what we know about this. Yeah. So he wrote me this letter, which basically said, you know, it it detailed things like the, the possibility that the oceans were going to rise and that the the polar caps would melt and the and a lot of this stuff, you know, the dissolution of the glaciers, I have seen come true in in my life. And um, but it absolutely terrified me. And that letter, that gentleman taking a moment for an unknown 13 year old to communicate and to talk changed my life and turned me into an environmentalist. And it, it to me is a phenomenal lesson in the importance of not dismissing anybody, but reaching out and talking to people we don't know. And this, this is an important principle that I operate on today as a scientist. I, if someone reaches out to me, I, I really do try to sort of reach back out to them. Let, let me just give you a little bit of Tim's background. Uh, Tim was born in California, but raised in Illinois and Texas. Uh, he actually, uh, from what I understand from our production notes, uh, you know, attended kinder high school and for performing arts uh, in Houston, Texas, and I guess later ended up moving to New York and attending the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and ultimately uh, graduated from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And I guess from that point on, uh, were you then directly into the film industry or were there things that you did prior to that? I pretty quickly, I was very lucky. I pretty quickly moved into uh, working in film and television right after um, I I left the North Carolina School of the Arts. Yeah, I was lucky. Yeah, it's, you know, it's amazing that we can dive right into what we're passionate about doing. You know, I, again, I want to kind of this line of questioning is building up to something related to climate crisis. But again, many people listening to you know, know of you because they watch you. I mean, and I think people certainly uh, resonate with actors and people that uh, they see on the big screen or on television. You know, some of Tim's recent work, I mean, he has, a, I mean, if you just Google his uh, various uh, sites and names, you will find his works. But some of his recent work include the Staircase, uh, Inventing Anna, Clarice, Bull, Blind Spot, and it, it goes on and on, uh, NCIS and so forth. Is there a particular favorite role or genre that you like to act in? Because I know, I mean, I, you've been in Marvel films. You've been quite a few, what I would consider science fiction type films. Is that happenstance or do you have a particular affinity towards that or uh it's total desperation. I'm an actor. I take what comes to me. I wish I could sit here and lie to you and go, well, I really will only No, a lot of it is really what the luck of the draw. And and frankly, I'm incredible. I've been incredibly lucky that I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, different different stuff. So, yeah, I'm not busy enough. For you to ask a question like that, no, I, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm honing my journalist chops as well as being a scientist, having hosted this uh, podcast and television show for so long. But in, in reality, uh, you know, climate change has really been dealt with 
in Hollywood. I mean, I, I mentioned it right off the top in the introduction. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is, do you see a role for Hollywood in climate change? And the reason I ask this, Tim, and let me just give you the context for why I asked this. There, after Don't Look Up, uh, I mean, it, a tremendously you know, well done movie has really uh, really sparked, I, I think, a discussion. But there are still some that are critical of Hollywood not doing enough about climate change. There are some that say Hollywood shouldn't be doing anything. It's entertainment. And then there's some that says, well, when it does do things, it's inaccurate uh, or uh, hyperbolic. And then I remind people that E.T. didn't really exist, or at least we know of, at least in that form. So Hollywood can embellish and entertain. So I'm just interested in your thoughts on the intersection of Hollywood and climate. Yeah, I mean, I look, I think Hollywood has not done enough. I also think the dairy industry hasn't done enough and firefighters and teachers haven't. We all haven't done enough. So we all need to do more. Um, I think there's a fair criticism sometimes about, you know, actors have a bigger soapbox than other folks. And sometimes they get on it and talk about stuff they don't necessarily know anything about. but that's what? not, by the way, let me just interject and say that is not the case for Tim, because I have gotten to know him and follow his work over the years. He's someone, as we'll talk about a bit later, that is very much, much immersed in this, knows his stuff on climate. But I also want to say something about that, which is, uh, uh, huh. well, I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm a guy who went to public high schools. Uh, I went to a I went to a school called the North Carolina School of the Arts and I went for four years and I didn't graduate because I discovered drugs and alcohol and thoroughly enjoyed those and had to uh, stop doing that 37 years ago. But went back to the school, gave me an honorary doctorate. So I had a high school diploma and an honorary doctorate, which seemed hilarious to me. So I anyhow wound up going back and eventually getting a bachelor's degree, but it took me 38 years. So what what I just want to say to you is uh, if you're listening and you're not a scientist and you're not, you know, that there are great resources. We don't all have to be Ph.D. level climatologists to come into this work. And folks like Dr. Shepard, Dr. Michael Mann have worked very hard to make this information accessible. Uh, And there really is such clear consensus now that you can really trust uh, the the work of the, you know, 99.999% of of, uh, climatologists. So I just sort of want to want to say that too. this, this thing not only is something that shouldn't intimidate you, don't use the idea that that it's intimidating to prevent you from action because, our, you know, we used to say our ch- it's about our children. It's not just about our children anymore. It's about us. It's about us. This thing is here and with us right now. Yeah, that's something I push back on quite a bit. I'm talking with uh, Tim Guinea, uh, actor who is very much concerned about climate change. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Curious what was the spark that made you decide to use your particular platform 
for climate. I mean, you mentioned that you and you had sort of always been an environmentalist, but I mean, you have taken up the mantle for this and we'll talk about some of the, you're president of climate action. Now uh, you're involved with climate reality project. Uh, I know you founded a, something called the climate actors, or at least are involved with the climate actors. I think you founded it. Um, I want to talk about those a bit later, but why climate change? You, you have a platform that you could have talked about uh, pursuing your goals. Um, there are drugs and alcohol, some of the things that you just shared with us. But I mean, this I, I feel like this is the, the, the hill that you is somewhat or will die on in terms of your activism, or maybe that's not a fair and accurate statement. I'm, I'm going to answer you with two or three stories all wrapped up together. Uh, so the first story is, as you mentioned, I, I'm involved with former Vice President Gore's organization, the Climate Reality Project. I was on my way to uh, Pittsburgh to do a big kind of training thing and was involved and had agreed to come be part of that. And uh, but I had to I had visited a doctor and the doctor was insisting I come in and have a conversation with him. And, you know, when a doctor insists you come in, you don't want to. You say, tell me. everything." No, I won't. I go in with my wife. We're sitting, you know, on linoleum. I mean, we're in this linoleum office with fluorescent lights and doctor says have a seat and i say no I, i'm i'm okay somehow in my brain probably thinking if i don't sit down he won't give me the news that i think is coming and he says tim please sit and then no, no, I'm, I'm i'm fine and he says tim you have cancer and i said uh because i've been thinking about this i said are, are you okay and and he said what and i said it, it's got to be very hard to tell people that they have cancer and you have to do this a lot and i was and he said tim you have cancer. And uh, I know it's sort of an obvious thing people say, but I felt like the floor disappeared underneath me and I felt like I was falling through outer space. And I'm going to come back to that story, but I'm going to tell you a second story, which is when I was 13 years old, I, I had a job. There were six uh, sailboats moving around the Caribbean. And I had a job at night, which was rowing a rowboat, like a kind of taxi service between these ships. And we were off and off of uh, uninhabited islands. So I loved this job because the panoply of stars overhead in the sky vaulting above me was like nothing you'd ever seen anywhere. And on a really calm night, the stars would reflect in the in the ocean and on a super calm night, you couldn't see the horizon line. You couldn't tell where the sky ended and the ocean began. And there are these miraculous uh, little microscopic animals called dinoflagellates that live in the water that are phosphorescent and they explode into light. When every time you hauled the oars, these swirling galaxies of light would come spinning off the oar blades. And you felt on those calm nights when the sky was reflecting in the in the surface of the ocean and the horizon line disappeared and the dinoflagellates were bursting out in the wake of the rowboat you felt like you were rowing through outer space and the miracle of our existence was so close and it doesn't have to be that exotic it's in the taste of my coffee it's in when you see your children's eyes in the morning or when you smell a breeze Back to having cancer, the great gift of a proximity 
to mortality that my friend cancer gave me was the reminding that we have a short window to be of service to our children, to the people we love, to the planet, to the plants, the animals. That's the greatest gift I may have ever gotten in my life. And I will tell you as a CODA, because I trusted science, I don't have cancer anymore. I trusted another kind of science. So um, that that's probably my deepest kind of hook into it. But part of it also is that I believe if the center of the work on the climate crisis is gratitude for this miraculous uh, panoply of stuff in front of us, for the experience of, of being alive. And I don't mean this as a religious or necessarily as a secular experience. I'm, I'm just talking about the word miracle is a little confusing, but it feels that way to me. It feels beyond explanation to me. Uh, and I, I think somehow if that's where our advocacy comes from, then that helps avoid polemic kind of contrarianism of Republicans versus Democrats, because this is about all of us, you know. Sorry, I've, I've wandered off into distant fields. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard. I'm speaking with actor Tim Guinea, and he, he just said a mouthful. And if you were listening carefully, um, that answer was powerful uh, and uh, inspiring because we don't have a plan B planet. Uh, we are watching just this week. I was sitting nervously watching as NASA was planning to launch the Artemis uh, rocket, uh, which would go to, to the moon's orbit and ultimately would lead to manned or, or, or manned or womaned, because I don't like that term manned anymore in terms of spacecraft and space flight. Uh, to the to Mars, but we don't we're not going to live on Mars for some time. This is this is our planet. This is the one that we have. And so I really appreciate what Tim Tim just said. I, I want to pivot to the, the climate actors. What is what is that? So uh, I had a realization, which is that I would guess 97 percent of the actors in Hollywood. Uh, I'm completely making that number up. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that the vast majority of actors in, in Hollywood uh, believe the climate crisis is real, are concerned about it, want to do something about it. But I also 
don't think they know that that many actors want to do it. And my notion was, if you can create an organization that helps actors realize the ubiquitousness of our concern, it would help galvanize them into action. Um, that was number one. Number two was to try and help actors have the tools they need to effectively communicate on the climate crisis. Um, because as I said before, sometimes stepping up onto the soapbox without knowing what you're talking about is a, a dangerous, uh, is a dangerous thing. So anyhow, that was the, that was the initial impetus for it. And, um, you know, luckily an extraordinary number of fantastically talented folks have gotten involved. We give presentations sometimes to movie studios and film sets and acting schools and theaters and things like that. Yeah, really, really amazing story. And and what's your involvement with, I, I, again, I mentioned that we met through this triple AS activity, American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Uh, and I also know you mentioned being involved with um, climate reality. I saw you recently on one of your social media pages, or perhaps it was hers, with uh, taking a picture with my good friend and colleague, Catherine Coleman Flowers, who is really just a legend in her own right for what she's doing in the environmental justice and climate justice front. What, what are your thoughts there about the sort of disproportionate impact and vulnerabilities that certain of us will face? You and I have resiliency. You know, we we come from a fabric where, you know, if our house is destroyed or harmed by a hurricane, I probably have insurance or I probably can move my family out of harm's way. But there are many around the world that can't. What are your thoughts there? You know, um, oh, well, how do we um, how do we have any beginning of uh, fabric of moral continuity in our lives if we deny the uh, disproportionate effects that the climate crisis is having on different communities. And uh, I have, as a white man, uh, middle-aged, almost, almost third act uh, white man uh, of privilege, um, have worked hard to um, not just be aware of these communities, but do what I can to help, uh, which is an interesting thing, because you have to sort of show up and say, would you like my help? Is there a way I can help? You take the reins. Let me give you my energy. You know, you got to help the folks on the ground who always know best. You don't want to try and come in like save your guy on any level. You want to, you know, and um, the extraordinary thing for me is that over and over and over again, by going into these forgotten communities that people don't want to think about, you meet the best people, the best people that there are. You know, Catherine Flowers is uh, a, a, just a, a phenom. I, I met her first uh, doing a thing for uh, Karenna Gore, and she was introduced to me, and I, I wondered who... Um, I, I I didn't I I don't know what I thought I don't know who I thought she was, and then I discovered that she'd been working on this wastewater issue. She's a MacArthur Grant awardee, and um, I went down to Alabama, where there are people. In Alabama, they have a thing called sewage lagoons that they they don't we don't have in the United States. They they have 
these in some places in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, but they were in certain places situated where when it would rain, they would overflow into neighborhoods. And there is an extraordinary uh, woman who I met with who whose house was when it rained in an island of raw human waste and it would come up through the 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 drains in her sinks, the drains in her shower and flood her house. And she had been living this way for 17 years and she had been abandoned uh, to this for 17 years. And Catherine Coleman Flowers carried a a flag saying these people need our attention and respect. These people demand attention. And I was lucky enough. I don't know when this was three weeks ago to be down there with Michael Regan and the White House because of Catherine's steadfastness is pumping a bunch of money into uh, 11 test case areas uh, to deal with this situation. And um, so, look, you, you got to go into this EJ work and and get into it for the sake of having in any belief in your viability as a compassionate person. But the other gift is you meet the very best people. So, yeah. so get involved in it. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I'm, I'm hoping we can get Catherine on, on the podcast here soon. She and I are actually hopefully going to be working together on a research project in another part of the U.S. up in Michigan, where they're dealing with some sewage issues as from extreme rain, which we know is occurring with greater vigor and intensity because of climate change. So a shout out to Catherine Coleman Flowers, if, if you're listening, Tim, as we're getting towards the end of this podcast, What's next for you, both professionally and on the climate front? So uh, professionally, I'm off to do a movie, a Western with Kevin Costner that or Kevin Costner is directing. Um, on the climate front, I've, I've accepted a position as president of a thing called Climate Action Now, which is a free phone app that allows people to take thousands of actions on the climate crisis in seconds. And when you do, you get points. And when you get enough points, we plant a tree for you. The trees oh, wow. are planted and looked after for their lifetime by subsistence farmers um, around the world. Um, uh, and it's an extraordinary thing. And you want to do something about the climate crisis that takes very little effort while you sip on your coffee in the morning, check out uh, Climate Action Now. Um, I'm headed down to Houston, the Climate Reality Project is um, doing a, a thing on uh, the Gulf South in uh, at the end of October, and they're uh, accepting invitations to that um, right now or uh, applications for that. So if you're in the Gulf South and want to be involved, uh, I think those are the two big things on my horizon. My wife walked in while we were talking. Yeah, it's, 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 was, oh, don't, don't, don't start talking. No, that's fine. No, we 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 actually love the sort of the real timeness of the, how we do the podcast. You know, actually, the like everything, the pandemic changed how we did this podcast. I used to go to the Weather Channel into a studio, and our yeah. guests went to a studio where they are. But we we like the sort of sort of real timeness of what we do. Tim, Tim, are there places that people can follow you on social media for you personally, but even also some of the 
organizations that you've mentioned? I imagine if people do a quick Google search, they can find many of these. But any, anything you want to particularly put out there? Yeah, you, you could follow Climate Action Now. You could follow the Climate Reality Project. Um, I'm on Twitter, Tim Guinea. If you want to hear the rantings of my brain, uh, which I don't suggest. Uh, but uh, yeah, those things are there. You know, this has been amazing. I, I know you have a, a, an aggressive schedule and, you know, I, I literally just reached out to Tim and said, would you come on the podcast? And I mean, it was within probably minutes. Sure. I mean, I, I and I really appreciate uh, you coming on. I think our listeners are uh, are going to really appreciate your story and have a different perspective on some of the people like you they see when they flip on the television or they are, they're watching Iron Man or Iron Man 2. So, Tim, Thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Any, any time, Marshall. So happy to be with you. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll see you next time on Weather Geeks. All right.